Bokar Tov. Happy Tuesday. We are... I want to touch on a few, a couple of more philosophical points. Or more um, abstract ideas. Before we jump in headfirst into Parashat Tzaveh. Few things about Parashat Rumah. The first thing is that this is something Rabbi Tono was speaking about on Shabbat, but he was he's looking at it looking at it from a different angle. He was saying there's a common trope, a very common uh, uh, anti-Semitic idea that the Jews are stingy. He said, but the Tirumah represents the first time in history that a people. Uh, collectively donated out of their free will to a building project. Without being taxed. Without being taxed. Without being so, forced. Right. So I was saying that represents the, the that that shows you that the Jewish people embedded in their in their psyche, embedded deep down in the way they, they are, are there are very generous people. That probably the anti Semitic idea that they're that they are what I was thinking about actually when he said that is where why does where did the idea come from that the Jewish people are, are stingy? The idea came from the fact that they are successful in business. What the goyim, what the jealous people try to do, what jealous people in general will try to do, is if they see someone is successful, in order to make themselves feel better about themselves for not being successful, they will try to blame the person's success on 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 some on some moral ill on something bad that the person is being is doing so they'll say that the person isn't successful he's just very stingy he has money because he never shares he has money because he doesn't give any donations he has money because he steals so all of these things they don't come from any innate problem in the jew they come from the jealousy of the people who are less successful okay so that's one thing, and but there, there's a se- there's a separate element to it, which we also touched on a little bit, which is the fact that the construction of the mishkan is being done out of the the, the donation of the people, and it, it does not there's no conscription of a la- of a labor force in order to do it, Correct. which is also very very significant because one of the concerns we had is that in constructing a magnificent project. Am Israel may end up looking a little bit like Egypt. Yeah, like they were slaves. Right. There are they may the people may become enslaved or be enslaved for the sake of constructing the project. But that innately, if we would have enslaved people in order to build the Mishkan, that would have been like a Khilul Hashem. It would have been a contradiction in terms. Yeah, because because learning continuously about Exactly, How because out of, out of the, exactly. the, the, the whole I mean, we point... We have to serve Hashem, there is no other, but we are not slaves. And the whole point of serving Hashem, the whole point of making God dwell amongst us, means that we will, have, we will treat the slaves well. You know, so by, so by making the Mishkan something that was donated as opposed to something that... See, in, in the Beit HaMikdash, in the, in the construction of the first Beit HaMikdash, we failed in this regard. Shlomo Amelech, he conscripted a huge labor force. And then when his son, Rechavam, came to power, the people complained. And they said, come on, this is, like a, this is very difficult. This is, they even used the same language as, 
as Egypt, that as the, as they use similar language that this, that describes the their own servitude to building the Beit Hamikdash. They use language that mimics that of the, the servitude in Egypt. So, so, um, and then that ended up causing the, the the division of the of the of the country. Meaning, it was because yes. of that that Yerovam separated and then built and then separated the the northern tribes from the southern tribe. Yeah. But here, 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 there is no. Nobody was forced to build this. This was just done by. There's nowhere that is here. Yeah, there. exactly. No, 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 that's idea. That's a deeper idea. The, the deeper idea is that the Torah is, Am Israel or or Hashem was very careful to make sure that this would not happen in a way that would mimic the grand construction projects of the other kings. You know, the yes. other kings when they would. Yeah, when they would force people to work in order to build things. Exactly. Next thing. Uh, we said that we were missing the Mizbah, Mizbah Zahab. Yes. For some reason, the golden altar is not... Postponed. It's, postponed. it's postponed to the end of Parashat Tetzaveh. Yeah. So I was thinking of reasons for it. Um, there, there's a reason which I think is probably the Peshat, and then there was a nice reason I read last night. The, the reason I think is Peshat is probably because one of the details that is mentioned at the end of Parashat Tetzaveh is the Yom Kippur service. It's mentioned in passing because it's, it talks about uh, Aharon and his sons and their what, inauguration. What and then it also describes the, the day that's most important. The Yom, it mentions the Yom Kippur service in passing. I have a feeling because the golden altar is extremely important, one of the key items that, that's used in the Yom Kippur service because that's where you take the, the, the Ketoret so from then, to go into... So they left it in that, in that section. Yeah, I think so. Because also, it also says that on the day of Yom Kippur, you should sprinkle the blood on the, on the golden Mizbeach. The only time in the year when you put blood on the golden Mizbeach is, is on Yom Kippur. So I have, a, I have a feeling maybe because of that they left it in that section, but even that is not so convincing because it, it doesn't really speak about Yom Kippur, so it just says it in passing. So it's not like it's not like there is a section of Yom Kippur at the it end is of our describing it exactly right. So so that's hard to say. The other in, uh, interpretation I heard is as follows, which is, which I, I I don't know if it's as convincing, but it has some cute ideas. So what the what does the each one of the items in the in the Mishkan, what do they represent? So the the Aron, what does the Aron represent? So we said that the Aron represents the Torah, the Torah guiding the people, represents the law Life. of Hashem, the Life. Edut, and it also represents the chariot of Boreolam. You know, it's as if that's where God speaks from, that's where God resides. Right. So it's as if God speaks to us through the Torah, right? The Torah sits in the box which in which God's voice comes out from. So the Torah, so Hashem speaks to us through the Torah, quote unquote. What does, so, so that's the Aaron. Right outside the, the parochet, you have, yeah. you have the Shulchan. Shulchan, yes. What does the Shulchan represent? That represents the fact that Boreolam provides for us all yes. of our physical needs. Food, so all of our tables are supplied, the bread of our tables are supplied by Boreolam, and there is always bread on the table. Right, uh, so so that's the shulchan that God that God provides for our needs. What does the menorah represent? So it's interesting because most of the commentaries say the menorah represents 
the light of wisdom and how all of the light of wisdom yeah, when we pray, we pray towards the middle. Uh, some people yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that's actually why. They say if you want... <laughs> on, the, on the left is money. Exactly. If right you want Parnassah, wisdom. you should tilt a little bit to the left. If you want wisdom, you should tilt a little bit to the right. Anyways, the menorah represents wisdom. It represents the light of wisdom. And, and we said the idea that I think that Barbanel said that the, the, seven, um, the seven branches all coming from one base tells you that wisdom, all, all of it has its root the, all of the, the wisdom has its root in the service of or in the wisdom of, of fear of God right? the beginning of wisdom is the fear of Hashem okay? sure. so that would be the Torah is the Aaron the Shulchan represents God providing for us and the Menorah represents the, the wisdom that comes from recognition of God's a fear of God okay? now what does the Mizbah HaZahav represent so it's not as clear uh, but one of the, I was reading a very, very good, very good, uh, uh, he's a good rabbi, he, he writes really beautiful commentary on Tanakh, he says that the Mizbach HaZahab represents tefillah, because the Mizbach HaZahab, unlike the Mizbach HaNechoshet, that it has, that the altar that they take physical food and they sacrifice it and put it on, the Mizbach HaZahab, the only thing you really put on are spices and smells, and smells are less physical. So smells are a very good way to convey the tefillot of the heart, which are not, it's not like we're not giving any physical item, we're giving our hearts. So if like the Mizbach HaNechoshet represents us sacrificing from our, from our physical items to God, the Mizbach HaZahab represents us sacrificing our spiritual or our, our thoughts yeah, to well, Hashem. The tefillot is the soul, is replacing practically that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the problem is, to be honest, that the tefillot are actually, are, are actually replacing the mizbachan. This is actually my problem with this commentary. Because, because, because the tefillot are actually replacing the mizbachan echoshet. The tamid, you, the korban tamid, which is brought on the other yeah, When we read mizbach. korbanot, it's, 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 it doesn't talk about animals. It talks more, more about uh, all the incense and all of this. That's, that's the pituma ketoret that we're yes. talking about. But that's not, it's also not, that pituma ketoret is just a description of the mitzvah of the ketoret it doesn't it's not whenever the chachamim say that the that the tefillot represent the korbanot or they modeled after the so korbanot about the, about it's referring to the mitzvah hanachoshet so this whole theory again it's a theory I'm just walking through some of these ideas but he ended up saying that because the mitzvah the, the mitzvah hazahav the golden altar represents the tefillot that are that are come from the heart it's as if on the half side of the mishkan that side of the mishkan represents what God does for us God provides us the Torah, He provides us our sustenance, and all of the wisdom comes from God. But then we, in response, we have to offer a tefillot to Hashem. So, he sep so God, in the Mishkan, He separated the, the golden altar from the, other, from the other items. Again... But it's true, Hashem likes that we do the tefillot. He wants us to... Yeah, yeah vadai, vadai. But, but the whole, his whole point was that if you're looking at what these items in the Mishkan represent, the ones, the, the menorah, the shulchan, and the aron, are things that come from Boreolam, and then the Mizbah HaZahab is a separate thing which represents the tefillot that we come to so, Boreolam. So practically, the, the, the golden one is what we give to Hashem. Yeah, exactly. The golden one is what we In give return. to Hashem. Right. Again, I have problems with it. It's cute. It's a nice idea. It doesn't. It doesn't. Meaning, you could also say that the Mizbah HaNechoshet is things that we give to Hashem because we're giving because Him because our you know, and the Mizbah HaNechoshet is in last week's first. Hashem. Our first. Uh, everything. Yeah. First, the first. Yeah. So maybe as we study Parashat Tetzaveh more in depth, we're going to maybe get a better answer for this whole Mizbah Hazahav 
the golden altar. It's very interesting that it's falling in the next parasha and at the end of the next parasha. Yeah, at least it's something we noticed. You know, yeah, some, yeah, most yeah. people don't even notice. But it's, it's at the end of, of parasha Tetzaveh for some reason. Maybe because the because of the the Kwanim, you know, they needed to prepare the Kwanim and all of that. And then after, so maybe the Kwanim is part of the of, of the whole aspect of the Mishkan and everything. I, I agree with you. So what we were saying yesterday is that the whole system, it's teaching us about the structures. First, the items, starting with the holiest item, the Aron. Then the other two holy items that are right outside the Parochet. And then it goes to the structure. Then it goes outside to the Mizbach Anechoshet. Then it gives us the, the Chatser. So it gives the whole structure. And then it tells us not only the structure, but who will be serving in the structure. So right. in our parasha, in Tetzaveh, it's going to go through the Kohanim and their clothing, how they are inaugurated. And then once it teaches us about the Kohanim, it's going to teach us also not only about the process of their inauguration, but the oil that is used for their inauguration. Yes. And then another theory as to why the Mizbah is saved for the end is that it describes at the end of the parasha two things that have a very, very exact um, mixture. One is the, the anointing oil and one is the pituma ketore. So it could be that the incense, that's the pituma ketore, the incense that was brought on the golden altar and the anointing oil that is used to, uh, to inaugurate the mishkan and to bring the kwanim on board, those two things are related. Because they're also in back-to-back parashiyot. So that's another reason maybe why the golden uh, was, was, altar was, was saved for the end. But again, we're going to analyze the structure of it. But, that, but that's the, the, the basic order of our parasha. Um, let's see. Uh, so we did all that. The last thing I want to point out in parasha Terumah. All of uh, we're going to see in parasha Tetzaveh as well. There is a lot of detail. Every last, remember when we studied the menorah, down to the, the cups and the really tr- like a true jeweler. and the buttons. Right, right. <laughs> the, everything is described in great detail. So you could say, in, on the one hand, that's because Borei Olam wants it to be beautiful, but there's something more. There's a very deep. There's something very deep here, and that is that the tendency towards avodah zarah is very strong when it comes to the arts. Remember we were discussing the difference between the hearing and the sight and how the Torah is kind of like silently arguing against pursuing what, what we see. Yes. And it's trying to train us to yes. use our ears more because the yes. ears are the seat of understanding. Yeah. The ears are not lo- looking, they're just understanding. The, the the the, and it's also interesting because ears, they hear things sequentially so you can pile up information one piece of logic after another piece of logic after another and you could build an edifice of understanding the eyes everything's seen at the same time right so the eyes there they see a lot but everything's superficial the eye okay? is very weak so well well the eye the eye also is the seat of temptation yes. but the eye is superficial because it sees a lot at the same time and then and the ear is more deep because it takes information in sequentially so that was our analysis of these two senses and i think the torah throughout the whole Torah is going to have like a, a, a silent polemic against vision, against, against using, overusing the sense of sight. Because um, we, have a, we all have a tendency towards Abu Dazara. Yes. 
and a lot of the tendency towards Abu Dazra is going to be stimulated by the sense of sight. People are going to look and go after what they see with their eyes. You know, they're going to be tempted by their eyes. It looks nice to them. Yeah, and then and there's more. You ever notice that if you look in the arts, in like in like the art world, the artists, there, there isn't a lot of religion in the art world. There are a lot of. I mean, it's it's hard to say because the classical artists were all very very inspired by by religion, oh, right? The Renaissance the, artists, yeah, the Renaissance but the modern that was ones, the era. right? Now it's totally the modern different. ones. They don't have. There is no religion. It's not. It's not a very sacred space. Zero. Right. So that's an interesting thing. Why is that just a, a by coincidence? Why is it that people who live on farms are religion are religious, but people who engage in arts are not? So it's not a coincidence. It's a, a lot of people when they engage in a certain uh, occupation, those occupations, because they trigger a certain part of the human body, in this case, the arts, they trigger the, the vision, the sight. It, it's, there's something to it. I can't, I, I'm, I've been thinking about it a lot. I've been trying to come to a deeper conclusion about it, but, but there's a lot there. There's, there's a reason. There's something about being engaged in activity that is purely dependent on your vision that causes you to live a life of the eyes and not a life of the sure. of the ears. Sure okay, no so so that's something there. So what happens is, whenever we have the construction of the mishkan, there is the potential that the artwork that we're engaged in can quickly turn into avodazara. So all of the detail in the construction is not only because God wants to ensure that the mishkan is beautiful, but He also wants to ensure that people aren't playing any games with. With, they're not beautifying things Changing in a way that right. makes them uh, another thing that the arts represent is, is beautifying the natural world you know the artist will, typ- will typically beautify the natural world and he could if he gets romantic enough may end up giving divinity into things that are purely mundane into things that are natural and that's not something the Torah likes so again the Torah is also fighting against that temptation of the artist uh, and that is why Parashat Tulumah is in such detail there's so much the, the Torah is what, what, what you begin to realize is that the Torah understands men so well <laughs> that the Torah is always catching every potential pitfall that we may we even have. And it, it goes to show you how deep only someone with a divine understanding of the human heart could have written the Torah. And these the are the more, things. The these more are the we things. Are studying it, the more we realize. Yeah, the, the more you study the Torah, the more you realize that the, the it can. It, the only way it can, could have been written is if it was written by Borei Olam. Hey, Baruch Hashem Olam. Amen. 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 Hazak Baruch Rabbi. So tomorrow we'll do, the, we'll do the text. Parashat Tzavos <laughs> again. Eventually. Yeah.